Um, I'm not going to talk much. I'm just going to introduce Uncle Lesko, who's going to talk to us for about 20 minutes about the Aboriginal Tent Embassy, its history and what they're fighting for. And then we'll try and open up to a few questions if we have time. Um, maybe just a quick shout-out from Naoka. They're running a conference at the Embassy next week. If there's anyone in Canberra who might want to volunteer or help, kind of set up a kind of green alliance situation. If you have a chat to me, there might be some, some stuff we can do to help them with their conference. Good morning, everyone. As Clancy said, my name's Les Coe. I am Rajri Nanawal Gibeer. And I also like to um, thank the Greens Institute for actually inviting me here to speak from behalf of the Aboriginal Embassy. Actually, I was looking at your theme up here, every, everything is actually connected. To actually get a bit of an understanding of where I'm coming from or where the Aboriginal Embassy is actually coming from. In our culture, in our beliefs, in our religious systems, everything is connected. It's something that's seemed to be a problem in this country since Europeans have actually come here to our country, is trying to understand how Aboriginal people actually relate to one another and how we relate to the land. And just like all cultures, we have a, a connection to the land that goes actually goes back quite a long time, in actual fact goes back to most cultures on the planet. Since Europeans have actually come here trying to understand where we're actually connected in here, well, actually, they have never really tried to understand where we actually fit in here. All they've done is basically put a colonial gun to our head and said, you will conform. If you don't conform, they just pull the trigger. And I assure you, that's still the basis of relations in this country right up to this very day. The Aboriginal Embassy was actually established over 45 years ago by four Aboriginal men that came from Sydney. In actual fact, they were actually sent to you from Sydney by other Aboriginal people. To understand a little bit about the history of the embassy is why they actually did this. It can take you back a couple of years, back at least to 1966, where we call the, actually the birth of modern land rights movement in Australia, when Vincent Ngari actually walked off of Waverville Station, where he led the Gurindji people off of Waverville Stations for basic, better conditions. And when they were saying betting conditions, they are just saying basic wages. Of course, all they were receiving at the time were rations. But that was also a representation of far too many Aboriginal people right across Australia in the sense the work that they were actually performing, that's all they were given, is rations. And at that particular time, like in New South Wales, where I come from, the majority of Aboriginal people actually lived on what we call reserves and missions. In actual fact, what they were were concentration camps. Those Aboriginal peoples were actually on those concentration camps for anything up to four or five generations. And they were actually the survivors of what we call the killing times in this country where Aboriginal people were killed openly in this country. And the reasons why they were killing us is for resources. And the resource is this land. I don't care what anyone else says. The British didn't come here just to set up a penal colony or to watch where um, Venus was actually going across the sky. They come here for the resources. And they had every intention to remove the people that were actually here. Even though they say that Captain Cook had secret instructions from a monarch to actually seek consent, I don't think there was actually, was ever intended to use. I think that, um, well, the embassy believes that the only way that, that would have been acknowledged if we were here in such numbers 
and in such military force that they had no choice but to acknowledge our existence here. Because we were, uh, under our own laws, a peaceful people. I mean, we've been in this country for well over 3,000 generations, 60,000 years. Some people are saying 80 or even up to 120,000 years. Well, our systems of governance actually prevented wars in this country. When I say war, major wars. Our nations did not invade other nations. We had no need or had no concept of actually killing another people for their lands and taking their children away from them and removing all resources that they actually had and imprisoning them. Because when I get to imprisonment, that's basically what Captain Cook and the Europeans and the First Fleet actually imported here to Australia. And that was the criminalisation of all Aboriginal people right across the country, which was just a continuation of what Captain Cook, when he first actually stepped on our shores down at Kmo, and what is called Botany Bay today, the very first act that Captain Cook actually did was shoot an Aboriginal man. That Aboriginal man was actually challenging Captain Cook under Aboriginal law. But he was not allowed to come onto his land as an armed party and unannounced. Under, under Aboriginal law, the fact that Captain Cook and his Marines actually shot that man was an act of war. And that act of war was actually a declaration of war of Aboriginal people right across this country. Even though Captain Cook had no idea at the time in the sense how big the country was or how many people were here. He still stuck that flag into Possession Island. I mean, in the legal sense, sticking a flag into Possession Island, we, ch we challenge that very act. But they'd never even claimed this here country. This here country is under illegal occupation as far as we're concerned at the embassy. And over history, over the last 240 years, Captain Cook's once again, that very act of shooting an Aboriginal man, it's also been the basis of race relations, reinforces race relations in this country to this day because they're still shooting us. And we as Aboriginal people have never, never ceded our country. Under our laws, under our religion, and under our customs, it's actually impossible to do. Being connected... Well, Aboriginal people under our culture and our systems, we believe we're connected to everything. We believe in a religious system, but um, it's really the wrong word, actually. The dreaming. We believe that all creation came out of the dreaming. And that everything that comes out of the, out of the dreaming, we're actually connected to it. If you want to understand Aboriginal people in our culture, when we talk about being connected to kangaroos, and emus and all other wildlife in this country. We believe that we're a part of them. We also believe that they are a part of us too. And you was talking yesterday about DNA and how much percentage of DNA is in each human being from other areas. Well, we have the DNA of this country in our systems as part of our makeup of our genome. In a sense, that's how long we've been here. But after talking a little bit about history, because I certainly don't want to remain in the past. What we do say about history, though, there's always two sides to every story. And we have not 
really had the opportunity to tell our side of history in this country, even though it's happening very slowly. The way of change in this country over the least of the last 40 years, actually, because we can only so talk about Aboriginal people in the last 45 years since 1967, that we actually even had certain civil liberties in this country, civil liberties like the freedom of movement. In actual fact, in 1967, that's what it actually did for a lot of Aboriginal people on these reserves and missions and concentration camps. They give them that freedom of movement in this country, but they have not removed the fences. We're still locked in. We're still trying to control our minds. They're still trying to exterminate us, actually. It's just the way... They just keep running into a roadblock. All they do is, when I say they, I'm talking about government at the moment, and a certain percentage of Australians, too. They just find another way. They do a bit of a detour, and then get back on the path of looking after us in the sense of destroying us. Well, we as a people, as Aboriginal people, we're quite sick to death of it. We've had it for 240 years. We've had people telling us what we should and shouldn't do, what we can't do. That we're no better than any other animals. In actual fact, we don't think we are either. In a sense, <laughs> we believe that we have a, we're on an equal footing to them. They're, they have just as many as rights as any, any other creature, as human beings, actually. Humanity's sense of what even is alive is too narrow. What's intelligent is too narrow. That's what I mean in relation to Aboriginal people. We're actually, we think a lot differently. We come from a different base. And you cannot take away from us what our creator has given, given freely. And that's this country. We don't care how many people, how many is have actually kill us. If you're going to do it, you've got to wipe us out completely. And that hasn't happened yet. In actual fact, our population is growing at a far greater rate than the rest of Australia. Just over the last couple of days, there's been some actually major events in this country that would actually affect Aboriginal people. We don't expect a lot from government. In actual fact, we don't expect anything from them in this country. It doesn't matter at what level of government, whether it's local, state or federal. They just reinforce one another. Actually, just one layer of racism and another and another. And another layer. It's actually got a lot more to even do with just racism. What we're actually talking about is power and control. Like what I was saying, when criminalisation was actually brought into Australia, Australian law does not protect Aboriginal people, I assure you. But we certainly feel the full force of it, though. They're still, they're still stealing our children since Kevin Rudd gave the apology in 2007. The removal rate has gone through the roof. Since then, over 20,000 young children removed from their families, forcibly removed and put in, put in out of home care. We will endure this. And just like other things, like in the Kimmel times, we survived those things. But like I'm saying, we're sick to death of it. We've been looking for a way out of this here mess that Europeans have actually created in this country in the sense of the way that Australia is in a position it 
likes going over and chastising and pointing the finger at other nations in relation to human rights. But they never look in their own backyard here. Well, actually, they do look. And then they just walk away. Yes. We're progressing. We're getting ahead. We're stopping these abos thinking like abos. You know, that's what Dondale was about, torturing young Aboriginal men there. That was about killing the abo in the child. Stop thinking, stop being who you really are. In a lot of ways, Aboriginal people are actually saying, that's what we are saying, we want to be who we are. We're not Europeans, we don't have that sort of culture. Also, although we have learnt a lot of the bad stuff from your culture over the last 240 years, especially since over the last 45 years with the little bit of extra freedom of movement. It seemed in 1967 with the referendum, too many of our people actually, when they got that bit of freedom, far too many of them actually ran to the pubs. Alcohol is a problem in our society, but I assure you it's still, they are a minority. People are actually drinking Aboriginal society, make up, they are a minority. Most Aboriginal people do not. But I, I, I think that's quite amazing, actually, in the sense of all the trauma that has been inflicted upon Aboriginal people. Our trauma is intergenerational, goes from one generation to another. So where do we go from here as a people? I mean, just the other day, the prime, well, the coalition in this country said there's no treaty, no discussion, no more to talk about it. Well, we didn't expect anything less, actually. Where do we go from here as a nation? We're still looking to be a part of the modern world. We've been denied that our existence over the last 240 years, even though they say that some things that have actually happened in this country are good, like things like the Maybay decision. Well, people, unfortunately, believe that actually turned over the, the legal line in this country of Terranalius. Well, I assure you, Terranalius is alive and well in this country, and actually it's growing. But all, it's, all it did was hit a bit of a bump, it just took a detour. And it's continuing on its merry way of wiping out the abo. We at the embassy keep telling people what we need to do is the people actually find common ground here. We want to live. We don't, do not just want to exist. We do want an acknowledgement of our occupation of this country in the sense we were here before Captain Cook came to this country. We want to acknowledge that we're actually a sovereign people. At that time, when Captain Cook came here, we had the means and resources to actually support and sustain ourselves. And we were a free people right across this country. Well, we want, to, we want to end the enslavement. And we need to find a way out of this EMS. We're actually asking assistance from Australians, the average Australians, people on the ground, people like yourselves from these think tanks. Help us find a way out of this. So the politicians, we seem, doesn't matter what area of politics they come from, as soon as they're elected to Parliament up here, overnight, they become experts in ABO engineering. And every time we have an election in this country, we have new rules, new regulations. 
We have no continuity in this here country. We're not allowed to move forward. If you want to talk about nation building in this country, well, it's about time Australia actually embraced the Aboriginal people of this country. I'm gone for nearly 20 minutes. I'll stop there at that there. I'll open the floor up for any questions if anyone wants to ask me any questions. Well, we do want to find a way out of this mess, though. I do have one. Actually, a good question. Actually, <laughs> where do we find? Where do we go from here? In a sense, what you're saying. Yeah. Well, just symbols like a treaty would be a good start in this country. To us, that would cease that other thing. And we were t I was talking about terra nullius. We want that knocked in the fucking head then we can actually start talking. And let's find a way out of this sea mess. So Aboriginal people were never really interested in saving the world because they were too busy trying to save a little piece of our world. We also realise, though, we do have something to offer the world, the whole world, actually. If we could exist for over 60,000 years in a sustainable way, surely there must be some value in that. Yes? Um, thanks very much for your talk, my name's Ian. You said, you described how Aboriginal people see themselves as connected to everything else. How do you see yourselves as connected to white Australians currently, and what would be your ideal form of connectedness to white Australians in the future? Our connection to white Australia is generally at the end of a gun and filling prisons with their kids and over-incarceration rate of Aboriginal people right across the country. That's our only connection we have at the moment. 
Everything else is forced. This is not going to be easy as a people, as a country, but it's a discussion we need to have. Stop denying the fact that this is not a problem in this country. It is. Just the very fact we don't want to talk about it. And that would be a good step, having these sorts of things. Let the thing called truth come out. It can hurt, but we can learn from it, though, too, and move on. We've all learned from history. We all have histories. We've all been hurt. We also know we can get over it and move on. But we need to build towards something, though. At the moment, we have nothing to build towards. All we just keep getting is the same thing over and over. And that's preparing our children for a lifetime of incarceration is not, to me, is moving forward. Sorry if I didn't answer your question properly. Uh, I'm and Aboriginal people around the country can work better together because the Greens of all political parties have taken this on board and have tried very hard at whatever level of government we've been elected to, and at local government, for example, our councillors are working to change Australia Day, for example. Mm -hmm. In the federal parliament, my colleague here, Senator Seawood, moved on open fuels. The whole, with every, uh, deaths in custody, the whole thing, we, every opportunity, we've tried to advance a better communication and, and try and work with Aboriginal people. But we need to um, expand that more. We need Aboriginal people to work with us wherever we are to try and do that. So I've, the Greens are a way forward mm. for Aboriginal communities to get a better voice in parliaments until we can get more Aboriginal people obviously elected, but we need to do that first. So my question to you is, there are people in parliaments at every level willing to try and move the agenda. What is the best mechanism for that to occur? I mean, I, I, once again, I'd acknowledge the Greens' involvement in Aboriginal affairs over since the Greens actually come into existence. They have supported Aboriginal issues in Australia. And they have been trying to find a way out of this, the Greens. We actually acknowledge that. We actually like that sort of support because the two other major parties in this country don't give a rat's ass about Aboriginal people. They keep dangling that carrot in front of us all the time just like they did the other day with the uh, constitutional recognition and treaty. They dangle, that carrot, they dangle it for nearly 10 years. $800 million, and then just took it away. But what some of the things the Greens are actually doing in the sense that engaging with more Aboriginal people, having more Aboriginal people as a part of, on the party, having... Aboriginal speakers at these sorts of forums, at these sorts of discussions. Um, it's not going to change overnight. It's something we actually got to work towards. And we as a people have got to form and find new friends everywhere in the sense where we have to create alliances. 
and our alliances with the Green, I think, is one of the probably the better ones of all the political parties in the country at the moment. I'd like to see more of our people actually involved with politics, but given the opportunity. I'd like to even see to the point where it gets that um, instead of being a part of the party system, that they actually stand as independents, even if it's just aiming for the balance of power in the Senate. I mean, all you've got to do is look at New Zealand as an example. Let's talk. I mean, talk. Let's be truthful. And what I'm saying is we find that common ground. And once again, when we say be truthful, though, too, it doesn't mean that that's all you do is just listen to us. We need to come together as a complete people in this country, in a sense. We can't go back. We need to live in the moment right now and then look to the future. We tend to look to the future a bit, bit, bit too much without actually addressing what's going on now. In Melbourne just recently, and they were talking about the idea of commissions, uh, treat, um, reconciliation or truth and reconciliation um, commissions. Um, so they were talking about that, truth, uh, truth, truth and reconciliation, like the South African one. You know? mm. I'm, I'm in two minds about them myself. I think they're all right. It's okay, but I'm sort of a bit more practical. Mm. Uh, I, I would love to see things fixed first, mm -hmm. and then we can talk about reconciliation and truth and all that. But, but at the same time, I recognise that black fellas, you know, everywhere, we've all got, we're all sitting on stories. Mm -hmm. You know, we, when people want to have the right to tell their stories, terrible, terrible stories, you know. Um, but I don't know, see, I, I just want to know how, how do you feel about it? Do you think? If I lived in a perfect world, yeah, but unfortunately we don't. I think we've got to work through this together. But also, I think that some of those things have got to be done on two separate sides, in a sense, like you were saying. I mean, Aboriginal people have been left, in a sense, with hopelessness in this country. We want to get a little bit of hope back. I mean, that's what this constitutional recognition, that give a little bit of hope, but it was taken away just like that. We want to be a part of the Australian system, political system, legal system, but on our terms. Acknowledge that we are a sovereign people. When that is acknowledged, that I believe we'll actually move forward and move forward together. Otherwise, you're just going to have us on a chain all the time and saying, get up here, arsehole. Get up here, you know. Do as you're told. Keeps reverting back to that. Acknowledge that we have a right to exist first. That we have our own laws. Acknowledge that. That's all we're saying. In the sense, we just want to be who we are. And we need the resources also to be who we are. We don't want government handouts all the time. We want to actually control, have some control over our own future. And that's, like we said, we can't go back and change time, but don't keep going down that same fucking path all the time, though. No. Okay? <laughs>